Welcome to LAPUX Lessons. This podcast is a growing collection of conversations with thought leaders in the online professional development space. Here at LAPU, our award-winning team strives to create world-class online learning experiences that put humanity back into learning. Join us on our journey to innovate in the online classroom and show the world what learning feels like. Well, welcome everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. Today we get to sit down with Dr. Lisa Phillips to talk a little bit about managing with emotional intelligence. Just so you know who you're talking to, this is Megan Burns and I am spearheading the LAPUX initiative. So you have gotten a chance to hear from me in the past, but I'm gonna go ahead and pass it to Dr. Phillips to share a little bit about her background and a little bit more about her career thus far. Thanks, Megan. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Obviously, I'm Dr. Lisa Phillips. I'm an assistant dean at Los Angeles Pacific University, and I oversee the business and leadership degree programs. A little bit about my background. I've spent, you know, prior to coming into education, a number of years, I started my career in business. After I finished my MBA, I went right into the industry to work for IBM and marketing. And then I moved into management with uh, Pacific Bell, AT&T. And eventually actually became an entrepreneur and launched my own businesses, partnering with, with my husband in financial services. So we've owned several businesses, including a fully integrated boutique firm where we offered financial services products and mortgages. So now being in education, I really love the transition of being kind of a practitioner, having worked in the industry. So just really happy to be here with you, Megan. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. And you have such a wealth and diversity of experience. I'm excited to hear more about how you've been able to integrate emotional intelligence in every single role. There's so many ways that you, I'm sure, have done that. What has been your favorite job thus far? Yeah, I was kind of thinking about that. I mean, I really love being in management and leadership and because I really love mentoring and developing emergent and aspiring leaders. And so that's also been something I've enjoyed doing, even as a professor in the context of, you know, just mentoring students who are taking our business and leadership courses as well. Wonderful. Thanks so much for sharing that. We're going to transition a little bit to managing with emotional intelligence. And I know you mentioned you love mentoring emerging leaders. So I'd love to hear just an overview first. So what is emotional intelligence in general? I'd love to know why this is important and even maybe how you use this in mentoring others. Yeah, you know, on a practical level, just like if I really thought about it simply, I'd say it's emotional maturity, but it's a lot more than that. Goldman, who developed the whole idea around emotional intelligence, there's four specific domains and with, within each domain are specific competencies. So those four domains are self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. And so, I mean, obviously I could go into a lot of detail about each of these domains, but one of the things, you know, I would start with and talking about self-awareness, it sounds like a pretty straightforward concept, right? But in reality, according to research, very few people actually have self-awareness. So they say that probably about 95% of the people think they're self-aware, but only 10 to 15% are actually self-aware. So when you think about self-awareness, it's really having a clear sense of who you are, you know, especially as a leader, because we talk about it a lot in the context of being a leader. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are your emotional triggers? Do you have a healthy amount of self-control and the ability to self-regulate, especially as it relates to your emotions? 
that self-aware person is not only keenly aware of their own emotions, but they're aware of the emotions of people that they interact with and how, you know, their interactions affect other people. So there tend to be, you know, people who have high self-awareness tend to be highly motivated, highly self-motivated. That just gives you an idea of self-awareness. When I think about it in terms of mentorship, I say, well, two things. One, one way to get obviously a better sense of whether you're self-aware is, you know, something like a 360 degree feedback. A lot of organizations do that on a regular basis where you get feedback from your direct, from your peers, from your boss, from people that report to you. So you get kind of a whole picture of how you're perceived by others. So that's really important for self-awareness because we have our own perception, right? Of who we are. And then how realistic is that perception in comparison to how others perceive us? The thing that I love about mentorship is that that's one way to really become more emotionally intelligent is to have mentors who model those behaviors, who you can watch, who can give, who can even share feedback with you about ways that you can develop your own emotional intelligence. So I'm going to pause for a minute because there's other, you know, like three other domains and I don't want to just talk on and on, but I know that we'll probably talk about some of the other domains, you know, a little bit further in our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you pointed out that most of us think we are pretty self-aware only to find that studies show about 10 to 15% of us are. I remember a funny interaction I had in a recent role where somebody said, you know, the more self-aware you think you are, the less you probably are. And it was a good wake up call to remind myself, okay, this is a constant daily practice. I love that, Megan. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's such a great example. Um, I was just going to throw one other thing in there because I was Mm -hmm. thinking too about virtues because I think things like humility, right? It's very difficult to be self-aware without humility. And so I just wanted to kind of throw that in there, you know, that that's kind of a really important virtue to have to be self-aware. Yeah, absolutely. To follow that rabbit hole a little bit, how have Mm -hmm. you seen virtues impact self-awareness or like, how have you seen that done well? Yeah, I think one of a really practical example is just being open to feedback, right? Whether it's formal in, you know, your annual or quarterly feedback that you have with your boss, or whether it's just in a collaborative setting where you're working in a team with other people and maybe they're giving you feedback. I've seen people who are so really just positive and really open to feedback or whether you're coaching people or whether you're managing or leading others or mentoring other people, the people that are most open to that feedback, their growth is like phenomenal, right? They're so open and wanting to know more, like, how can I do better? That's one way where I really see it being leveraged where they're like really wanting to know they're not defensive. They just really want to receive that feedback. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned the 360 degree review. I think when it comes to feedback, it can feel really vulnerable and really hard to ask, even ask for the feedback. It feels a little bit like, I don't think I want to know, (laughs) but how would you recommend getting better at receiving feedback or how would you recommend getting over that vulnerability hump? Obviously, like 360s tend to be more formal, but getting in the habit of like just asking, initiating that question with people, whether it's your boss or peers, let's say you made a presentation or you just had some interaction and say, hey, you know, can we just take a few minutes? I just want to get your input and and just kind of getting in that habit, it makes it more comfortable to just like initiate it, not always waiting until you have some formal review to get feedback. Right. 
one of my old supervisors used to tell me that I could rely on her feedback, whether it was good or bad, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say bad, I guess, constructive, that there was freedom in receiving feedback. Because ultimately, as a worker, it's helpful to know that you almost have bumper lanes that are going to help you understand when you're doing your job well and where you need to improve. So she told me, just relax into your role and trust that I will give you feedback when you need it and to ask for feedback when you feel like you're uncertain. And I found so much freedom in that. It was such a mindset shift for me. I love that approach, you know, that she's saying, hey, if I have something to share with you, I'll share it. So don't feel like you're going to get surprised at some Mm -hmm. point in time. There's nothing worse than having a quarterly performance review and then you're surprised by what your (laughs) your manager is telling you. Like, wow, it actually creates trust, right? Which I think is an Mm -hmm. aspect of kind of an outcome of emotional intelligence, that trust, and then that honesty and integrity, and even the courage to have those difficult conversations, like when it's really rooted in care and concern for the person, and then you can say, and then they can be open to it. And I think that's the flip side of it for the person who's giving the feedback that you really, the person really knows that they can trust you. They know that you really care about them. And then it's really, and then it can be better received. Absolutely. I think part of what you're talking about in this feedback process is uh, flexing the muscle of social awareness and even self-management. I'd love to hear you share a little bit more about those two aspects of emotional intelligence. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, great a great segue. Thinking about social awareness, we know empathy is right, an essential kind of aspect of that social awareness. It kind of aligns with when we talk about having emotional intelligence versus not having it. Empathy is like one of those things, if you don't have it, you're not going to be very effective, you know, in terms of social awareness. And so that empathy ranks really high in terms of leaders who master empathy are much more effective in coaching and engaging others. And it has to do a lot with listening, right? Like, I really see you and I really hear you. And when you feel seen and heard, that's one of the greatest examples of of empathy. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's it's feeling seen and heard as you wish to be seen and heard too, right? That it's is knowing funny. that, yeah, yeah, somebody is listening to hear for who you want to be, not necessarily what their agenda or bias is. Absolutely. That you're perceived, you know, in the right way in terms of whatever your motives and intents are. Yeah, that's really important. Yeah, that benefit of the doubt is collaborative. Yeah, and so you just brought up a really great word, collaboration, right? Because when you have, when you work with an emotionally intelligent team, or it really creates that openness for collaboration and innovation to happen, because you have to have that trust and that vulnerability, right? To be able to really create that collaborative environment that leads to that innovation that we all want, right? In our organizations. Mm -hmm. Right. And that trust has to be there in case there is disagreement, right? Because it, if there's trust, if the trust isn't there, you might not be willing to give the feedback that the project is maybe going a little bit awry or is not quite right. So in order for collaboration to happen, there has to be that foundation of trust. Yeah. Now you're bringing up, I think, really a great point about what are the elements of collaboration that need to be there? Trust. But I think, again, I like to throw those virtues in there because if you don't have courage, to go against the grain or to speak up when maybe you have a dissenting viewpoint. Um, it takes courage sometimes because it's, and, and you're taking a risk, right? So it's risk taking and being courageous, but even in the context of conflict, because when, because, because conflict is not 
a bad thing. You know, conflict can be a good thing. So you can't be conflict avoidant in terms of a leader if you're going to really create that collaborative environment and be willing to say, hey, you know, I disagree with that idea or, you know, and to push against each other. And it's okay. And to be able to navigate that in a healthy way is really important. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point about a leader being able to navigate that conflict. And I think that actually connects really well to relationship management, Ah. um, which is the fourth component of emotional intelligence. And so as a leader, how do you exercise relationship management? It's so interesting because I like to bring even again, like personalities, right? Because I'm really primarily an introvert. And a lot of times when people think about relationship management, they think, oh, you know, it's the extroverts who really know how to build relationships, right? But because I've been an introvert, I've like relied on my strength of, I like to meet people one-on-one. And so I'm more intentional about developing those relationships one-on-one behind the scene. And when I come into a group, I actually know those people sometimes at a really deep level because I've been behind the scenes developing those relationships. So I say that to encourage people who are introverts who might say, oh, I'm really uncomfortable. (laughs) You know, I'm not an extrovert. So, but I think the other point behind that is you cannot develop relationships with people in a group, right? Like as a leader, I think leaders will try to just, you can't just get together in a group and build trust. I think at least in my opinion, I think you have to build those one-on-one relationships. So when I think about relationship management, I think, you know, managing up um, to who you report to and above, managing across with your peers and, you know, and managing those relationships down. So valuing every role, no matter where they landed the organization, that you know that they have, they bring value and their ideas matter and they bring a diverse viewpoint. As a fellow introvert, I uh, can (laughs) totally relate to that. (laughs) Trying to develop relationships in a group, I start to get overwhelmed. Whereas if I'm one-on-one, I end up asking all of the questions and I end up going super in-depth and realizing, oh, we only had an hour and now it's an hour and a half. So (laughs) That's so amazing. Like as a sidebar, I mean, because of the fact that I've gotten a chance to know you a bit, like you don't strike me as an introvert. You're so personable, right? And so that's, I mean, I think that's such a beautiful example of like, hey, introvert, you know, you're so personable. It doesn't make you not personable because you're not an extrovert, right? So Right, exactly. Yeah. Introversion doesn't necessarily mean shy or even yes. like aloof. Introversion yes. just means, you know, I gain energy by one-on-one conversations as opposed to a really big party. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, as you know, we offer a certification in managing with emotional intelligence, and we actually go through all four components of emotional intelligence as defined by Goleman. As part of the certification, we even recommend a 360-degree review. There's quite Mm -hmm. a few of those practices as part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm curious, why would somebody get a certification in managing with emotional intelligence? It is kind of specific. So what what are the perks to it? What would be the goals there? Yeah, I mean, I think what, you know, we're offering at LAPUX is really amazing. I mean, it's such an opportunity to develop those skills. And what, when I think about emotional intelligence, right, you need it in every relationship, right? You can be a better spouse, you can be a better parent, you can be a better leader in your organization, you can be a better team member with your peers. And so I think it's really the type of skill set that you can use in any setting. So like, I would encourage anyone anywhere at any level of the organization to take a course like this and to really hone those skills so that, you know, you can use them across all your relationships. Absolutely. Learning about emotional intelligence in my master's program, 
helped me in a number of ways. It wasn't mm-hmm. just in the workplace. It was also looking at my friendships differently, my family relationships differently, and how I was maybe contributing to either, you know, conflict or something mm-hmm. happening within the family. I, it gave me so much more self-awareness there. So that's such an totally amazing agree. example. I mean, and I think the other point you're making is these are skills you can immediately implement. Like there's nothing like taking something and being able to just immediately apply it in your personal and professional life. So I think that's another great benefit. Yeah, exactly. So this might be, this is tangentially related in my head, Um, but I'm curious, I know you have worked for companies. You've also built your own company. How did you leverage emotional intelligence differently in those roles from working specifically for PacBell or starting your own company? Yeah. How did you leverage emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. differently? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think about first my very first transition from going from IBM where I was in marketing, I was dealing, I was selling multi-million dollar systems. I was calling on executives and I was young at that time. I was like 25. They were like in their fifties and they were CEOs and they're like, what is she doing here? She doesn't know what she's talking about. Right. (laughs) So me being aware of where they were and being able to like really understand how they felt dealing with me, like all the challenges. And so I had to really work hard to build that credibility, but I also had to be aware of their mindset as an executive and how they felt about dealing with someone, say, who was younger, who was inexperienced, and how could I really demonstrate to them that I brought value, right, to what they did. And so so that was one aspect. But then when I left IBM to move into management, I was really nervous about leading people and And so I actually reached out to people that I knew from grad school who kind of mentored me along the way who were already in leadership roles to say, what do I do my first 90 days or my first six months, you know? And it was so interesting because I, that's how I started my career, like building those one-on-one relationships. So when I started the management role, I took every single person that reported to me out to lunch to get to know them, like my first several months, they were so shocked. I mean, it was so countercultural to the environment that I was in, that it was like, it just blew them away that I demonstrated that level of care to know them personally. So, so I think those are just like really different in where the culture was so different, but that deep sense of caring, I think, and that you really care about people, they'll know if you really care. I think that's something to really emphasize when you talk about emotional intelligence and that authenticity. Because if you're if you're really motivated by self-interest, people are going to pick up on that and it's just not going to be good as a leader. So so that's why I keep going back to the virtues of like, what are you really putting the interests of others above your own? Do you really care about people? Because that comes across when I did launch my own business. I also had the opportunity to hire the people that were like minded, that were really passionate. So. So obviously you can kind of have a little bit more opportunity to create the kind of culture you want when you can specifically hire the people who are really committed to that mission. And it's a little bit more difficult, right? As the organization grows. So it was a smaller organization, just 20 people. So it was a little bit easier to kind of create the culture you want, but in a larger organization, you have to have that visionary leadership to take, let's say I'm not the executive, but I still can take the vision of that leader, and I can translate it to my level. And that's what I do even in my role now. I take what the president's vision is, I use all those same kind of words, and I translate it at our level to give the people, the faculty, the motivation to see what our level of commitment is to the students, how passionately we care 
about the success of our students. And so, so I think that's really important to take the vision and translate it at your level so that people can buy into that. Absolutely. And I love that what you're describing is almost like turning the hierarchy on its side. Mm. So instead of traditionally, you know, I serve the president or I serve and then I have employees that serve me as their supervisor or vice versa. In a sense, you're just pulling that hierarchy on its side and saying, I serve everybody, those people next to me and the others that are on my other side, because ultimately the vision just has to sound different or the story we tell about the vision sounds different depending on who we're talking to. But the hierarchy doesn't really matter when it comes to the vision. Does that sound about right? Example. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, I have one last question for you. And uh, I'm curious, how can you leverage emotional intelligence to handle conflict? I know leaders often find themselves in scenarios where maybe things feel sticky or even spicy uh, to use language from another company I've worked for. But when it comes to conflict, our first reaction sometimes can be to avoid. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to make waves. But knowing your background, I'm sure that you have had moments when you do need to exercise that emotional intelligence, like you were sharing, walking into a boardroom um, where they're looking at you like, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, I can relate to that. So how do you how do you leverage emotional intelligence, not just for yourself, but also in navigating conflict? Mm, that's a great question. There's two different scenarios that pop in my head when you say that. One where you're creating the conflict, right? Because you're really the one bringing up that difficult conversation versus where you're in the midst of an exchange on a team where there's conflict. So I think, so first, when you're the one creating the conflict, (laughs) the foundation of courage is important because because the risk is greater depending on whether I'm dealing with a peer versus if I'm telling my boss, right? So I think it really comes back to like being able to really listen and really being empathetic, being able to put yourself in the shoes of the other person. So if I'm really taking a big risk and let's say it's my boss, then I have to come with a great deal of humility, you know, when I address the issue, but I have to be really have clearly identified what that issue is and be able to articulate it and with specific examples, not like, oh, you did this, that hurt my feelings or whatever the case I may be saying. But instead, here's a specific example of what occurred and this is how I perceived it. So kind of taking it from that way of this is my perception of it and and just giving them an opportunity to respond and being kind of open to that response. I think of more instances where I was probably creating the conflict because I'm really like the person, I'm that person who I think over the years and maybe the stage of life, I'm like not afraid to have those difficult conversations. And sometimes I feel like God is pressing on me and calling me to say that. And I think what gives us the courage sometimes too, especially organizationally is like, I'm thinking about the people who are going to come behind me, right? I'm thinking about the other women because I'm a woman. I care about them, you know, blazing a path that maybe makes it easier as a woman of color. I'm concerned for people of color. And so the people in the margins, because if I have a voice and an opportunity to have that difficult conversation with the leader, I'm going to at least try. And hopefully the next person that comes along, I make it easier for that person, right? I I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And I, I mean, you live essentially in the borderlands. You're straddling the yeah. line between so many yes. different worlds and you're advocating for the people around you, which I think is so honorable. Thank you. Thanks. 
Well, those are all the questions that I had for you. For our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in taking a course on managing with emotional intelligence, the certificate is available online at x.lapu.edu. We go through all four components of Daniel Goleman's social and emotional intelligence, and we would love to see you there in that certificate. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode of LAPUX Lessons. We hope you learned something today. And if you did, please take a few seconds to review our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Your feedback helps us in so many ways. We would also love to connect with you on social media. You can find all of our channels listed in the show description. Before you go, we want to invite you to visit x.lapu.edu to see the courses that we have available. Check back often as we are always developing new offerings. Or you can subscribe to this podcast where we will announce and feature new courses as they become available. That's it for this episode. So remember, this is what learning feels like.